0: Thank you, Martins, for that ministry in music. You'll turn with me in your Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 5. Our scripture reading for this morning will be found in chapter 5, verses 15 through 27. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 15 through 27. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures with you, we do have something under your pews. And the page number for that is 395. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but He refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And He said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver into two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed." He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. May God bless the preaching
1: of his word. In the scriptures, we
2: are struck by the way that Jesus served his heavenly father, and even us, with great humility. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and following, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It says that Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whosoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, who was the King of kings and Lord of lords, manifested his humility by riding into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, it reads, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Even in his entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus was manifesting his humility as he had nothing. He had said that the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus had given it all up in order that he might bear our sins and experience death on the cross for our forgiveness. Humility, in order to serve and to do the will of God. We are going to be in a portion of Scripture this morning. We're not going to be considering the triumphal entry, but rather a portion of Scripture that teaches us a lesson on selfless humility that is in keeping with the example of Jesus. In our passage, there is a striking contrast that is clearly drawn between the selfless action of Elisha and the selfish conniving of Gehazi. We begin by looking at the selfless, humble action of Elisha, the refusal of Naaman's gift, the occasion for the selfless act of Elisha is Naaman's offering a gift to Elisha. We need to look at some background to the offer of that gift. Since the healing of Elisha from his leprosy, there was a wonderful transformation in Naaman's life. Not only a physical transformation, but a spiritual transformation as well. Naaman has come to be a true worshiper of God. We noted last week in Second Kings 5.15 that he said in the middle of that verse, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And at the end of verse 17, Naaman says, For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. A true spiritual transformation and conversion. That spiritual transformation and conversion resulted not only in a deeper appreciation for God, but a deeper appreciation for God's servant, Elisha, as well. There is a marked difference in Naaman's attitude towards Elisha before and after Naaman's being healed. Prior to being healed, Naaman arrived at the home of Elisha, and uh, in that arrival, he expected Elisha to come out and meet him. Verse 9, it reads, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Here he is in all of his pomp and circumstance coming to the house of Elisha, and in his mind... Uh, that is Naaman's mind, Elisha should have been overwhelmed. That here is this person of notoriety. Here is this person of great respect. Here is the king of Syria's own commander-in-chief coming to the house of Elisha. But Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. Instead, in verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored. The result is that Naaman becomes angered because along with other issues, he felt that Elisha had disrespected him by not coming out to talk with him personally. Notice verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out. That's the least that he could do. But after his healing, this time, He comes before Elisha, and Elisha comes out to talk with him. Verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. Now, on this occasion, Naaman treats Elisha with great respect. Five times in verses 15 through 18, Naaman refers to Elisha as his servant that Naaman is the servant of Elisha. Verse 15, end of the verse. So accept now a present from your servant. Verse 17, to your servant give two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes in the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself at the house of Ramon, the Lord pardoned your servant in this matter. So your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant. This incredible humility that Naaman now is demonstrating towards Elisha. It is in appreciation for his healing and all that Elisha has done for him spiritually that Naaman wants to provide Elisha with a sizable gift. He's grateful to Elisha. Verse 15. End of the verse. Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. As we work our way through this passage, it's very important for us to understand that this is a present that is not an offering being made to the Lord. This is not a sacrificial gift that Naaman is giving in order to praise and to honor and to glorify God. Rather, Naaman is presenting a gift to Elisha for Elisha's own personal use and benefit. It's a mark of appreciation, gratitude towards Elisha. But Elisha refuses the gift Elisha does not want anything from Naaman, let alone a sizable gift. For it says in the middle of verse 16, I will receive none. I don't want anything. Despite Naaman's encouraging Elisha to accept the gift, Elisha continues to reject it at the end of verse 16. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. It is the refusal of the gift that becomes central to this story. The first thing that we need to do is ask the question, why does Elisha refuse the gift? Why doesn't he just take this gratitude, this expression of appreciation from Naaman? Well, it's clear that Elisha refuses to accept the gift on religious grounds. You look at verse 16, he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. So it's because of his religious conviction that elisha turns down this gift. What is not so clear is what is the basis of that conviction? What would be morally or ethically wrong or? Elisha to have accepted this
1: particular present. Now, many commentaries, and I
2: would even say the majority of commentaries, want to associate this gift with trying to buy one's salvation. They emphasize that salvation is a free gift of God that cannot be purchased. In the mind of the commentators, for Elisha to have accepted the gift, it would have muddied the waters concerning salvation as a free gift. While that's a nice application, and you can see how readily useful that could be, and while we agree that certainly salvation cannot be purchased, it is a free gift, I don't think that's what's in view in this passage. i Don't think that that is the primary point. Naaman is not trying to buy his salvation. The cure has already taken place. His faith is already affirmed. More importantly, it's a gift offered to Elisha, not to God. If you're trying to buy salvation, he'd be offering a gift to God, not to Elisha. Naaman clearly worships God, not Elisha. He's not worshiping Elisha. Uh, He says in verse 15, There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Verse 17, For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Well, what is most significant for this particular discussion is that Naaman realizes that forgiveness
1: does not come from Elisha. Forgiveness comes only from God. Let me say
2: that again. Naaman clearly understands that forgiveness doesn't come from Elisha. It's not Elisha who's forgiving
1: Naaman, it is God who forgives Naaman. For notice verse eighteen. In this latter matter may the Lord pardon your servant,
2: not Elisha. May the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ammon, again these words, the Lord pardon your servant. And the word for Lord here is Jehovah. It's clear that he's looking for Jehovah, God, to forgive him, not for Elisha to forgive him. So he's not trying to buy forgiveness. This is something else. This is something different. This is appreciation. This is gratitude for the role that Elisha played in Naaman's healing and in Naaman's spiritual understanding. He's grateful. He's grateful. So what is the issue then? Why doesn't Elisha accept the gift of Naaman? Well, the answer is tied directly to Elisha's statement in verse 16. He said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none.
1: This statement, that as the Lord lives before whom I stand, Elisha
2: is acknowledging his accountability before God. He has a responsibility before God. It is God that Elisha serves, and it is God to whom Elisha is answerable. He is going to have to stand and give account to his God. What does that have to do with his refusing the gift? Well, I think a number of things. First,
1: it would be wrong to accept a gift that is given when
2: Elisha has done nothing to deserve it. Elisha has done nothing to deserve it. Now, I know that we want to emotionally argue that point and say, well, sure he's deserving of it. Look at the way in which God has used Elisha. That's the point. It is God who is operative. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse seven, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the land, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. Elisha is wanting to convey to Naaman that Elisha had certainly done, simply done his duty. He had done what God had commanded him to do. He had done Naaman a
1: favor. He was not moved by Naaman's
2: pomp or circumstance or even what Naaman could
1: potentially do for Elisha. What Elisha did
2: was God's beckoning. He was serving at God's pleasure. Elisha understands that it is God who will reward him, and I'll say more about that later. It is God who will reward him for his service. Elisha understands that there is a privilege as well as a duty that is associated with his serving God. It's important for him to communicate to Naaman that he has a greater gift, he has a greater blessing than anything that Naaman could ever give to Elisha. Naaman is thankful when he is able to stand in Elisha's presence. If you look at verse 15, it says, Then he, that's Naaman, returned to the man of God, that's Elisha,
1: he and all his company, and he, that is Elisha, came out and stood before him. Elisha comes out. On the first occasion,
2: Naaman doesn't get the opportunity to talk with Elisha. This time he does.
1: And this time, rather than
2: being angered at being disrespected, he is awed at Elisha's coming out to him. He doesn't feel deserving of it. So, five times he refers to himself as Elisha's servant. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come into your presence. Thank you for what you have done for me. Well, Elisha stands in the presence of God. Elisha stands in this unique, privileged place of being able to be a a prophet of God, to be able to speak for God, to be able to act for God. He stands before God, if you will. And so he says in verse 16, and he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I stand. So he has a reward that Naaman doesn't understand As I say, I will say more about that towards the end of the message. But as way of application, all too often, those who are in the Lord's work take the praise, honor, and glory that solely belongs unto God. It is a a privilege to be used by God. But we don't want to get to the place in which we feel as though it has been that individual that was the cause of the blessing, that Elisha was uh, needed by God to bring this blessing upon uh, Naaman. In fact, God makes it clear that he doesn't need Elisha by sending Naaman to
1: the water to wash. Elisha is not directly involved with this miracle.
2: Remember, on the previous occasion, Naaman is upset because he said he expected Elisha to come out to him and to wave his hand over him and to bring about this healing. That's not how it was done. Elisha is disassociated. All he says is, you go and you wash, and you'll be clean. And sure enough, he was clean. So we need to be careful that We don't rob God of his glory by taking credit for that which God does. And furthermore, certainly that we would not grumble or
1: be dissatisfied with our position. Not so with Elisha.
2: Like Elisha, we must understand the privilege and blessing that it is to serve the Lord. In contrast, we have Gehazi's Selfish, conniving response to Naaman. Gehazi views Naaman as undeserving of any kindness. Gehazi refers to Naaman in a very derogatory manner. Notice in verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared. Now notice this designation. This Naaman the Syrian. This Naaman. Who is he? He's a Syrian. Remember that the Syrians were the enemy of the nation of Israel. Remember that they had just conquered Israel. Remember that he's the commander of the army.
1: This Naaman, this disgusting individual, this enemy of Israel, he gets healed. He views Naaman as an enemy. And Naaman doesn't deserve any kindness.
2: Gehazi views Naaman as getting off easy. Goes in verse 20, it says, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian. Key word, spared. Gehazi sees himself as entitled. He and Elisha are deserving of this gift. Gehazi knows that if Elisha had taken the gift, the Gehazi would have benefited from it. That It would have been shared with him. He would have enjoyed the fruits of this gift. So when Elisha turns the gift down, he's turning it down not only for himself, but for Gehazi also. Gehazi loses out. Gehazi thinks Elisha should have accepted the gift. Notice verse 20 See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. He's flabbergasted. That was a mistake. It was a mistake. He should have taken the gift. So Gehazi is going to go after Naaman to obtain some material reward. End of verse 20. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Gehazi's sinfulness is motivated by greed and unawareness of his own duty and privilege before God. Gehazi is determined to get something from Naaman. Notice he says in verse 20, As the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. This is quite the different statement that Elisha makes when he says before whom I stand. Elisha said as the Lord lives before whom I stand.
1: Here he simply says that is Gehazi as the Lord lives. He is saying, as surely as the Lord lives is as surely
2: as I will get something from Naaman. It's an incredible statement. As surely as the Lord lives, I will get something from Naaman. That's how determined he is.
1: That's how certain
2: in his mind that this is going to come to pass. Gary King in his commentary writes, and I quote, it is possible to be close to the work of God and to the people of God, but to be far from the heart of God. As Elisha's servant Gehazi saw Naaman depart, all he could see was a lost opportunity for personal enrichment. He was blind to the glory of what had taken place. His greed stood in stark contrast to Elisha's generosity and Naaman's gratitude.
1: He determined to seize the opportunity to enrich himself. Gehazi is blind to the
2: privileges of service, and much more, he is blind to the accountability before God. In essence, flippantly, he is saying, May God hold me accountable if I fail to get something from Naaman. Wow. Next, when Gehazi catches up with Naaman, he enters into a series of lies in order to obtain the gift. In the New Testament, It states that the love of money is the root of all evil. The actions, lies, the deception that Gehazi is now going to enter into is all a result of his greed, his love for money. Notice the series of lies. First, Gehazi lies about being sent by Elisha, verse 22. And he said, all is well My master has sent me. Well, Elisha hadn't sent him. Secondly, Gehazi lies about speaking for Elisha. Notice verse 22. He said, all is well. My master has sent me to say. Well, Elisha didn't send him to say anything. But now, in associating the words that he is about to say with Elisha, he in essence associates them with God or Elisha is the prophet of God. To say that Elisha sent him with this message is ultimately to say, this is God's message. And of course, it isn't. And it totally misrepresents the character of God and the desire of God. So it's a rather severe sin that he's committing. Thirdly, Gehazi lies about wanting a gift, not for himself, but for the ministry. Notice verse 22, and he said, All is well, my My master has sent me to say, here's the message, there has just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. He's not asking for a gift for himself. He's asking for a gift for the ministry, a gift for the work of God a gift for the people of God. That's what he's saying. That's the presenting case. And there's a tremendous lesson to be learned here, for all too often, personal greed hides behind a pseudo or false concern for ministry. Let me say it again. All too often, personal greed hides behind a pseudo or false concern for ministry. We have the example of Judas Iscariot in the New Testament. Remember the occasion when Martha comes to anoint the feet of Jesus with a very costly perfume. This is the account. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who would, uh, was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii And given to the poor. Why are you wasting this oil, anointing the feet of Jesus, when there are all these poor people around us that need to be fed and clothed and cared for? Verse six He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it.
1: He regularly stole. He was the treasurer of the group. And Judas regularly embezzled from the monies that were collected. He stole it. He wasn't interested in feeding the
2: poor. He was interested in making himself rich. And it's with a heavy heart I say to you that all too often religious leaders hide behind raising money for good purposes, and then siphon off a large portion of those gifts in order simply to make themselves rich.
1: It happens. It happens. It happens here. People are duped and think that they are giving to the Lord's work. That's what happens. Naaman is
2: duped and thinks that he's giving to the Lord's work. So Naaman generously gives to the Lord's work, verse 23. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him. He encourages Gehazi to take it. He urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing, and laid them on two of the servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. So Gehazi absconds with the funds, verses 23 and 24. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept the two talents. And he urged him and tied up the two talents of silver and two bags, two changes of clothing, laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away and they departed. Plan works, gets what he wants, got the money, hides it in the house. And now we have the scene of Gehazi before Elisha. Elisha confronts Gehazi and what he has done. Notice in verse 25, he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Now notice this word again. He stood before him. He stood before him. We saw that before. He stood before him. He's giving an account. He's hearing what his next duty or role or responsibility is to be. So he comes in and presents himself to Elisha. And Elisha says, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant. <laughs> There's that phrase again. Your servant went nowhere. As lies, not only to Elisha, but to the Lord. Verse 26, but he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Didn't my heart go with you? Didn't I see you? Didn't I know? Didn't I understand? Now, we learn from the story of the Sunanite woman as well as there, elsewhere that Elijah only knows what he knows as a result of the Lord revealing it to him. In 2 Kings 4:27 remember when the Shumanite woman comes to Elisha concerning the death of her son that we have this statement and he when she came to the mountain to the man of God she caught hold of his feet the came to push her away but the man of God that is Elisha said leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So Elisha only knows what God tells him. He's, he doesn't have omniscience. God reveals what Elisha would not know otherwise. Ergo, it's God who tells Elisha that Gehazi has gone after Naaman and gotten his ill-gotten goods, etc. Gehazi had taken lightly his accountability to the Lord. For he said in verse 20, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Though his statement is similar to that of Elisha, he leaves out the key phrase, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. He leaves out the accountability part. He lives out the responsibility, the duty, the privilege part.
1: In essence, he takes the name of the Lord in vain. Here we see Gehazi's flippant actions and responses. He is not expecting any accountability from God. He thinks that he can connive
2: He can swindle, he can scheme, and he can get rich. He doesn't anticipate there's going to be any consequences to his
1: actions. He has full confidence in his ability to defraud. And in that confidence, he is dishonoring not only Elisha, but God. The heart
2: of Gehazi's sin is seen in Elisha's rebuke of Gehazi. Notice verse 26. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from the chariot to meet you? And now we have this statement. Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Here we see what motivated Gehazi. Money, garments, Olive orchards, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male servants, and female servants. Gehazi was looking for the good life. He was looking for a life of ease and luxury, presumably to be free from being Elisha's servant. He was going to have his own servants. He was going to have his own slaves, female and male. He was going to have it all. What he ends up with is a ton of money. It's not an exaggeration.
1: That he has just built a nest egg that will allow him a lifestyle
2: that was before unthinkable. What it reveals is Gehazi's wrong set of priorities. Gehazi failed to realize all that he presently had in his duties and responsibilities and his privilege to serve as Elisha's servant. What a unique opportunity to witness
1: these miracles and to hear from the prophet. Gehazi failed to
2: realize the reward of God's people is primarily future. Notice verse 26. He said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? And now this simple phrase. Was it a time to accept money? Is this the occasion for that. That statement is actually key to this entire passage. Now was not the time for Elisha and Gehazi to get rich and to enjoy life. Now was not the time for them to sit back and to just do nothing. This was the time to be serving the Lord. This was the time for them to be doing their duty. This was their time to be ministering the word of God.
1: This was the time to engage and accomplish the will of God.
2: This isn't a time to sit back and just
1: take in wealth and luxury and ease. So it is with us. This life
2: is not a time simply for us to seek our own pleasure and ease. This is not a time for us to sit back and to enjoy life. Uh, one of the hymns I thought about using in closing is work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Our blessing is Primarily, future. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There is coming a day no more tears, no more sorrows, no more crying, no more misery, no more heartache. We live in this paradise and streets of gold, and, and all of the picture is of the eternal bliss that we
1: will one day know. But that's not now, that's future. Right now, we're to be engaged in active service for the Lord. Things did not turn
2: out at all in the way that Gehazi imagined that they would. Notice verse 27 Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. I went out from his presence a leper like snow. And again, this is not just an upset prophet or As we've seen previously, he has no power but the power that God gives. This was God's doing. This was God's judgment. The one before
1: whom Gehazi stood. The one before whom Gehazi was accountable. He thought he got away with it. He didn't. He didn't. As uh, Gary King writes in his commentary,
2: as the story comes to an end, Naaman and Ghazi have traded places. The pagan who humbled himself to submit to God's word through the prophet had found healing. The servant of the prophet who had disrespected God's word had tasted the bitterness of judgment. The God of compassion who heals the trusting is also the God of justice who will not clear the guilty. God opposes the proud.
1: It gives grace to the humble. The conclusion. Is this lesson simply for religious leaders? Is this lesson simply for
2: people who are engaged, quote-unquote, in full-time service?
1: Or is there not a lesson for each of us? What is this present time for? The life that God has given you, the abilities, the gifts, the talents, what is that for? Why has God saved you? Jesus 2.8 and 9, for we,
2: for uh, grace are you saved through faith and not, not yourselves, it's the good of gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God has given each of us gifts, and God expects each of us
1: to be engaged in His service. And how often we can be detracted from that service by seeking a life, life of ease and pleasure, by seeking money in vineyards, and actually being dissatisfied with the life of service, failing to
2: realize how privileged we are, what a benefit it is to be a child of God, and to have his word, and to be sharing it with others. What is this present time for? God has placed us here to make himself known, to be a blessing to others, to fulfill the purpose for which he saved us. We are to be his servants. Our reward is primarily future, and it's a great reward. One day we will stand before the Lord. We will give account. And it will be a joy to give that account and hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. There is no greater joy than to know that our Heavenly Father is pleased
1: with us and that we have served Him faithfully. May we take that joy of privilege. A
2: delight as we think about his service. May we never think of it as a, dr- a drudgery or a hardship, but may we welcome it, may we embrace it. When God does use us, may we give him the glory and not take it for ourselves. May we remember, ultimately, that we stand before God. Which means that we are accountable to him; we are answerable to him. Which means that he provides for us. All through this this passage, we see the sons of the prophets being provided for. If you can think about the, this chapter, chapter to come, etc., God
1: provides for the sons of the prophets. Naaman, it's the wrong view of God and his provision when
2: Gehazi comes and says the sons of the prophets have come and they need
1: this money. No, no. God will provide and God will reward. Now is not the time to get
2: rich. Now is the time to be serving him. In response to this morning's message, I've chosen a hymn, hymn number 385, Take My Life and Let It Be. You don't need to get your hymnals out. It's going to be on the screen. It's a a hymn of dedication,
1: and it's a rather striking hymn. And it is filled with words that are hard to live up to.
2: I often think of my role as a pastor and what I ask people to do and say, etc.
1: And it's extremely important that I don't become a stumbling block in the lives, in your lives, by asking you to sing something that you're not prepared to declare to the Lord. This is a rather, I say, striking hymn. So well, this morning, instead of singing, I'm asking that we
2: simply read the words to the hymn and not read them audibly.
1: Read them silently.
2: As Ruth and Ray play, I'm going to ask you to play all four stanzas. But It's just going to be you playing. It's just going to be the instruments. You're going to have the words. And as they play... I just ask you to read the
1: words and ask yourself, is this where I am? Does this reflect my heart? If I were singing, could I really sing this? It's thought-provoking. It's challenging.
2: Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and we ask you would help us to be your servants. Grateful for the opportunity to be involved in your work and your service. Lord, uh, guard our hearts and minds against greed and ambition. Lord, help us to cherish the opportunity to be your people and to do your work and to be associated with your ministry. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. Ray and Ruth, if you would play, and we will just silently read the words.